welcome to The Partial Perspective, a place where I share my perspective on everything in the space between life and death. I'm your host, Pacho. Well, my Pachos Chachos, I finally saw the uh, documentary by Candace Owens, The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, and uh, I was right. I am absolutely vindicated in the arguments I've had with my past students. I did not regret what I said, and I do not regret even more now what I said, because thanks to Candace and doing all the research, I know that I was right, and what I was saying is true. Uh, it's a great movie. Uh, I would strongly recommend that you join The Daily Wire. Again, I have no investment in it or uh, get any, you know, I don't get paid to say anything like that, but I really do think alternative, conservative uh, apps, you know, and programs and really anything that just tries to get back the culture, I think that needs to be supported. But again, that's why I'm doing this podcast for all of you who uh, do not have a subscription, uh, but would still like to know what exactly was revealed in the video. So after watching it a couple of times, these are my key highlights. The film opens with a quote by Malcolm X uh, that I have loved for a very long time. I remember in my dorm at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, I had a black and white poster uh, of his portrait with the quote, uh, talking about how the media was really the greatest enemy because it could convince us that the victim was the aggressor and that the aggressor was the victim. And man, have they done that? I mean, look at Jesse Smollett, look at Bubba Wallace. You know, I mean, those are just two examples and yet there are still so many more. But, you know, we don't have time to go over those because this is going to be dedicated to the documentary. So, uh, first of all, as I had known, because I, you know, I, I watched it like crazy when it first came out. I tried to look at all the sources that I possibly could. I got to see lots of angles from different body cams and things like that early on. You know, then it got buried or deleted or, you know, hidden from me or whatnot. But I remember seeing them, you know, I'm not going crazy or anything. And I was right. You know, he was in the back of the police SUV, or at least they were trying to shove him in there, but he was declaring that he was claustrophobic, which, you know, is just ridiculous because he was in a car sitting next to his drug dealer when the cops came up to arrest him. So I don't know where the claustrophobia came from, but nice try. Um, and another video that I saw came from the body cam next to the guy, uh, next to Derek Chauvin. And I saw that his knee was not on the guy's neck, but on his shoulder. And the video in the documentary confirms it. He was never on his neck. He was on his shoulder blade. And the only reason he was on his shoulder blade is because Derek uh, Floyd was being difficult. He was resisting arrest up into a point. And so they had to lay him flat on his ground. That's police training. It's standard. And then they were finally able to handcuff him, all right? And so not on the neck. He also claimed, uh, George Floyd, you know, and they tried to promote the idea that he didn't know that his money was counterfeit. But again, Candace did the research and he actually went to a bodega before going to the cup store uh, who called the police and he tried passing on some counterfeit bills with the drug dealer and they caught him and they said, look, you could either take this or not take this money because I think they kept it. You could either leave or we're going to try to call the cop. We're going to call the cops if you insist, you know, that this money is real. And so they just left. Then George went to the cup store and tried to pass along the same money, knowing it was counterfeit, except these guys 
weren't nice and gave him a second try, they just called the cops directly. And so, you know, he was sitting in the parking lot and the guy pointed him out and that's where all the struggle began. This guy was a criminal, a career criminal. All right. As we have already discussed, he had, I think, eight hits on his background where he went to jail because of cocaine, theft with firearms. Uh, There was the incident with the uh, woman that we talked about in an earlier podcast where he held a gun to her pregnant belly, you know, really awful situation. So, you know, again, not the greatest guy, as I have been saying. However, I do want to sprinkle a little respect on Mr. Floyd because he was struggling. He did have addiction. And I know what that feels like. And it's a horrible thing. It's almost insurmountable and impossible to to stop. And he was trying. You know, the man was trying. He was alone, even though his family claims him now because it's convenient. But according to his roommates, it had been, you know, five years, six years that he lived with these two roommates. And never once did they see his brother, his sister, his baby, you know, his baby mama or whatever. They didn't even go to the place after his death to get his belongings. I mean, that's how little they cared about him until the media put a camera in their face and said, we'll pay you for your story. And, you know, Mr. Biden talking to the family, and, oh, he's so on our side. You were never on his side. So, I mean, it's really moot. You could have talked to the president without George Floyd because you never had George Floyd in your life to begin with. And the irony is George Floyd's daughter or baby mama is going to try to sue uh, Kanye West or Yee uh, for $250 million because Yee told the truth and said that George Floyd would have died from fentanyl if even if the cops were not there. And he's right. According to the toxicology report, which I posted in my last podcast when I talked about this, uh, you can see it three times the legal amount or the legal overdose amount, three times over that limit. I mean, it's insane. I think the legal overdose was three, whatever the measurement is there. And he was at 11 in the toxicology report. So the guy was going to, he was going to die of an overdose. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. The Daily Wire has already unraveled this. The forensics person has already, and the autopsy person has already done this. So very strange. And the poor guy, you know, I mean, Derek Chauvin, again, a lot of things changed, you know, like I, I have a newfound respect for, for Floyd because he did read his Bible. You know, that's what I mean, that he was trying, you know, and, and his roommate showed the Bible and it had post-it notes, you know, in different parts of it. It had highlighted passages. According to his roommate, Teresa, he would read it out loud. You know, I mean, the guy was trying to get the word in. And unfortunately, this tempting material world overcame him. And the fact that his brother and sister and baby mama didn't have them or stay in his life and isolated him essentially and left him alone. You know, it's a really sad story. And so my heart kind of breaks for that because I totally understand what it's like to, to suffer with some demons and the struggle it is, you know, to, to get them out of your life, but it can happen. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, Mr. Floyd was never able to get to that point. And so it is kind of sad. And um, there is an aunt uh, that the roommate said he did, they did meet, uh, but you know, ironically, she is never in front of any cameras, probably because she has a different narrative, a different story, because she was actually in his life. But then the documentary continues, uh, you know, and it shows uh, more video that 
you know, Mr. Floyd requested to be uh, laid down onto the ground. He wasn't thrown onto the ground. He had been since uh, trying to get shoved into the back of the SUV saying he had been saying that he could not breathe. So again, it wasn't because Chauvin was on his neck. Uh, It's because of the crazy amount of drugs. And there were chewed up pills also in the car, uh, according to the documentary. The drug dealer, you know, who was sitting next to him pleaded the fifth and did not reveal any information as to what happened or would have happened or anything to that effect because he had priors and didn't want to get himself in trouble, which makes me believe that the drug dealer freaked out. Oh, crap, it's the cops here. Take this. And George, as a good person, wanting to be a good friend, maybe in a moment of, you know, naivete or gullibility or maybe just, you know, ignorance and stupidity, he... I think he probably just ingested all of it and, you know, and, and then that's it. Again, that's just conjecture, but, you know, you, you follow ideas to their conclusion. And, and that's pretty much where I've come up to. Maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. And the last thing, too, that I want to bring up in regards to that part of the story is, you know, the media tried to spin this idea that uh, Floyd was asking for his mama, like his mother, you know, that a man searches for his mother before death. And that is just plain ridiculous. If you look at the trial, uh, his girlfriend, who you know, is a very interesting looking woman, I'm not going to pass any judgment. I'm just going to say that, uh, admitted that on his phone, she is entered as mama because he always referred to her as mama. So he was asking for his girlfriend. He wasn't asking for his mother or his family or anything that would have been nice and genuine like that. So I, I really wish again that the media would stop lying to us, but you know, that's why you have me here for you guys. So I can tell you the truth. Um, so then let's talk about the other part of the documentary, you know, so we've talked about George Floyd and, you know, I hope He gets to find some peace. I don't know how it works in the afterlife. I don't know if he gets a second chance, if there is purgatory or anything like that. But, you know, the judgment goes to my father and I will let him do his job since he does it best. And I have no idea. And I would would wish for as much leniency, if not more, uh, than he gives him. So let's talk about BLM. So if you've ever donated any money to BLM, um, man, I'm sorry to tell you, your money did not go to help the black community. All right. Kansas lays it out. So the first of all, one billion dollars worth of property damage caused by the BLM riots is uh, pretty messed up. So that's, you know, a tab that we all have to foot now because of their rage. And that's really what it is. It's rage. It's immaturity. It's inability to deal with emotions, to have patience, to wait for logical conclusions and truth to come out. You know, emotional reasoning, never a good thing, but it is what it is. So let's talk about Miss Patrice Calders like we did last time. As I told you, again, verified by the documentary, $6 million mansion in Los Angeles where she lived at. And she even tried to play the victim. I mean, so ridiculous. I posted the video on the last uh, podcast. If you want to check it out, check it out. Uh, she gave her brother $840,000. This guy was a street graffiti artist, and now he's making $840,000 a year. Uh, sorry, not $840,000 a year as her security, quote unquote. Uh, her baby daddy, I guess, right, gets $970,000. Uh, Damien Turner, good for him. $8 million went out of the country into Canada. Uh, 6.3 million went to a mansion in Toronto that got to be owned then by her girlfriend, who is, wait for it, gender non-conforming. 
So that means that BLM also contributed $2.4 million to trans organizations or trans-friendly organizations, $200,000 to sex workers. So if you wanted to help all those people, you know, work and prostitute themselves, you contributed $200,000 to that cause. Uh, They also spent millions of dollars uh, giving to training uh, activists, so to organizations that train activists to cause the $1 billion of property damage BLM had caused. $2.3 million randomly went to some guy who owns three coffee shops, some guy by the name of AJ. Uh, And there's a picture of Patrice sitting in one of his coffee shops in 2019, predating the protest. So it's kind of interesting that this guy gets $2.3 million you know, where there were like 11 or 12 organizations where the 2.4 million for trans or trans friendly organizations got, you know, so I'm wondering what's up with that. But as Candace states, I guess that's a $2.3 million question. Uh, and then I'm going to leave it with the other $32 million out of the 90 plus they received in donations went into the stock market, right? So there's nothing like helping the black community as joining the apparently, you know, white patriarchal, you know, uh, capitalists system of the stock market. So very interesting. I think you all deserve a refund, right? If I'm going to be quite honest, I think you all definitely deserve to get your money back. You should demand it. You should demand that BLM be disassembled and undone because of its fraud, because it's a scam, because Patrice Cullors and her girlfriends all deserve to be in jail. Um, And so, yeah, it was an amazing documentary. I hope this has been helpful. I hope you've learned some things. I hope that you've gotten some information now where you can shut down your crazy liberal friends or maybe not shut down, but pull them over to our side. All right. Let's not be mean. There's no reason to be angry. There's no reason to be insulting. Let's not reduce ourselves to ad hominem. All right. Let's try to bring our friends over. Just like good Christians, we are to help our friends get away from sin, to identify sin and to go from sin. We should do the same thing when it comes to politics, and we should just tell them it's bad policy. Not that you're stupid, not that they're stupid. It's bad policy. It's not working. It's hurting our society. Just take a look and listen for a minute. All right? That's how we're going to win our culture back. So anyway, I hope this has been informative. I'll talk to you next week. God bless as always. Pachos Chani.